Well, we're going to be diving back into that passage that we started our, our service with today, Luke chapter 2. So if you've got a Bible uh, with you, you might like to turn it on or open it up to Luke chapter 2, and we'll be diving into some of these uh, verses together this morning. But we've been in a series uh, as we've come up to Christmas together called What to Expect When You're Expecting. We've been trying to journey with Mary and ask this question uh, of this young woman that we know very little about before this moment, how do you begin to carry a promise, uh, a purpose this big for your life? And we've been asking that of ourselves. How do I carry what I believe God has spoken to me? How do I carry his purposes and his promises uh, in, in our lives? So first of all, we looked at that time when the angel came to Mary and spoke those amazing words to her. You will be with child. It will be of the Holy Spirit. The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. One of the first prophecies about Jesus in his earthly life is fulfilled very soon in that earthly life. He's called the Son of God. And Mary, amazingly, in this moment, let it be to me according to your word. Incredible. Not without fear, not without question, but certainly full of radical acceptance. Let it be to me, according to your word, for all the changes it's going to mean. Some that she can predict and much that she can't predict. Let it be to me, according to your word. Incredible woman of acceptance and faith. So carried the word, then the week after, or two weeks later, well, we thought about her uh, meeting with Elizabeth and how that confirmed the word for her, how the baby in Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist, was able to testify to Jesus before even being born. Incredible person, incredible life, the forerunner uh, of the Messiah. But what was interesting was Mary went looking for confirmation of that word. She didn't wait for it to happen. She took the trip from there to go and visit her, her cousin Mary and her husband. Not an easy thing to do, not an easy distance to travel, but she was active, proactive in seeking to confirm the word that the Lord had given to her. And there's one more key uh, that I want us to look at this morning. We thought about carrying the word and confirming the word. I want to think this morning about keeping the word. Uh, Yuri, is it on the active screen? It seems to have stopped moving on. There you go. Great. I wanted to show you a, a quick video. I went searching for this this week. It's a, a video, remember back in the day when everyone was buying camcorders uh, and you could be famous for five minutes on TV and get paid 250 quid if you sent a video in. Do you remember those days? Some of you are pretending to be too young, but yes, you do. You do remember those days. Uh, and one video, I remember, that was doing the rounds back in the day was uh, a video of a rocket launch that was taking place. Uh, this was in the kind of the high days of, of NASA launching loads of rockets, and uh, all these kind of things were going on, satellites being launched out into the atmosphere. And somebody from Britain was so keen on this, they saved up and they traveled out to America to, to be there when one of these rockets uh, took off. 
And so it's huge personal costs to themselves. They got there. I think the story is, I'm not 100% of this, but I think the story is they even saved up to buy the camcorder to remember the moment. And this is the moment they filmed of the rocket taking off. Uh, fairly early on in this, uh, I've taken the sound off this, but there's a, a countdown going on. There's a crowd of people around them, uh, all excited about this moment. And then suddenly, the person filming realizes that something has gone terribly wrong. He was pointing at the wrong thing. After months of saving, don't laugh, of months of saving, it's not funny. After months of saving and preparing and getting out there, it turns out he was pointing the camera in the wrong direction. It turns out for somebody who was obsessed with these things, he wasn't even pointing at a rocket launcher, he was pointing at a water tower and a building that was, that was yet to be built. On the question I want to ask as we look at Mary this morning is how come when Jesus was born there weren't more people there? How come when the Son of God enters into our time and space and world and skin and brings the promise of the ages, the promise of salvation, of forgiveness, of grace, brings it to bear, how come his welcome party was so meager, was so small, was so lowly? And it's not as though there weren't things that were pointing towards this. If we take a quick look at some of the prophecies in the Old Testament, you look at Daniel, Daniel prophesies the date at which the Messiah will come down to the actual year. So the promise of when Jesus was come was written down. If you wanted to know it, you could read it in black and white. The place that Jesus was going to be born was prophesied. Micah said this, You, Bethlehem, you're by no means least among the tribes of Judah, for out of you will come one who will shepherd rule my people, and he will be our peace. Bethlehem, it's, it, it's this big neon light that flashes in the Old Testament. So the date is there. The place is there. The miracle of the birth was there. If you're going to make something difficult to kind of prophesy or to make happen, make it a, a miracle. Isaiah tells us a virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. So there's a date, there's a place, there's a very specific miracle that's going to take place. There's a very specific family line through which this baby, this person, this king is going to be born. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, but then David and others are all named in as, as prophetically significant in this journey. And then finally, there's a prophecy, if all of that wasn't difficult enough, that a star will herald his arrival. Look it up, it's in numbers, that a star will arise out of Jacob, uh, and then a ruler would come. That's just some of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his lifetime. There's five that he fulfilled just by being born. Couldn't control any of those things, actually, uh, if he was just a human. But five prophecies that told them the date, the place, the way, 
the family line. And oh, yes, by the way, there will be a new star in the heavens that will herald his arrival. Why weren't all of Israel there waiting for Jesus to be born? Why wasn't the king there? Why weren't the priests there, the, the Levites, the Pharisees? Where, where were they? What better thing did they have to do on this time, at this date, on this location? How come that when it actually happened, the cameras were pointing in the wrong direction? And I ask that question because I wonder sometimes if in our lives it's so easy to get distracted. Sometimes it's so easy to have our focus derailed by something else. Sometimes we can think that we're following Jesus. I came across this incredible prayer by a guy called uh, Thomas Merton just this week. And it goes something like this. It's an ancient mystical prayer that says, Lord, I don't know where I'm going. And the fact that I think I'm following your will is no guarantee that I am. But I do believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. Hallelujah. Sometimes we can think we're following. We can think we know. Sometimes all the scriptures and prophecies and words can actually distract us. The camera can be pointing in, in the wrong direction. Perhaps for some of them, the camera was pointing in a very different direction. Perhaps they looked at what they'd been given. As a Jewish people, there had been appointed a king of the Jews. All right, There'd been a bloodthirsty battle to see who would get the job, but there was now a title, the king of the Jews. Maybe some had accepted that. Perhaps that's the best we can hope for, that there is now a throne and there's a king on it. Perhaps that's what we have to settle for. Other people were taking a more sort of practical, pragmatic approach. Some people thought maybe the best solution to this scenario of living life as an oppressed people is to compromise. Some people actually went and worked for the Roman oppressors, the tax collectors of the day. So when Jesus met with tax collectors, no wonder it was controversial. How can you befriend those traitors? For other people, it wasn't compromise. For other people, it was uprising and revolutions. And there were many of these back in the day. There were the Iscariots who believed that the way to really fulfill Old Testament prophecy was to cause this uprising, this violent uprising. Barabbas was the other famous one uh, back in the day. There were many false messiahs, which often ended with Rome defiantly and definitively wiping them off the, the pages of history. There's all these places that people are looking for security and hope. Perhaps it's in compromise. Perhaps it's in revolution. I'm guessing for many of the ordinary people, it just lay in keeping your head down, just living a quiet and peaceful life and hoping that the storm would eventually blow over. The camera was pointing in all kinds of places for hope and security and confidence and peace, except this promise. Here, then, through a virgin, under a new star, my son, my child, my king will be born. How, how do you miss that? And I wonder if part of the answer lies in something that we see in Mary. One of my favorite parts of the story comes in this chapter. 
There's an awful lot that's happened. They've eventually got to Bethlehem after a long and difficult, I'm sure, anxious journey. They've had to find a manger of all places to house this new life, to house this new child. They've laid him there in a manger. Shepherds have arrived, the outcasts of society, with songs of angels singing. and They've bowed down and worshipped and gone away rejoicing. And then Luke tells us, he kind of zooms the camera in on Mary and says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds are off dancing through the streets. The sound of angel song is still echoing somewhere through the kind of airwaves. But Mary takes a moment to treasure up all these things. When I was a kid, uh, sometimes at home we used to have a, a, an advent can, uh, is it a calendar? Candle thing, wreath, an can, uh, advent candle wreath uh, on our table. And uh, in the Sundays counting down to Christmas, we used to light a candle at a time and take it in turns to share in the reading. And I remember one Sunday it was my turn to read and I made a, a slight error when I read this verse. Uh, I'll see if you can spot it as I read it. I said something like, Mary treasured up all these things and pounded them uh, into her heart, which is not quite what's happening here. But Mary wants to hold this moment. She treasures it. It's a word in the original Greek that means to guard something, to want to preserve it, to hold it tight, to hold it close to herself. The shepherds are gone, they're dancing and singing, and the angels are off. Goodness knows what Joseph is up to, trying to organize, I'm sure. But Mary wants to hold this. She recognizes the treasure in this moment. And for everyone else's reactions and activities, she's just pondering. Interestingly, this seems to be something she often does. It's a phrase that's used again of Mary when they take Jesus to the temple. And they manage, they imagine, they manage to lose Jesus. Can you imagine that? The biggest assignment any human beings ever had. We're going to entrust you as a couple to steward this gift, this person, this life. On the first field trip, they lose Jesus. They find him eventually in the temple, talking with the teachers of his day and confounding them with his understanding and, and wisdom. And Mary goes running over and does what any mother would have said. How could you do this to us? Didn't you know we'd been looking for you? And Jesus says, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I'd, I'd have to be? in my father's house, which can be translated as, or about my father's business, which of course in a Jewish context, the two things were interwoven. Didn't you know I'd have to be here? It's one of those stories in the New Testament that ends with a question. And we're told that Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. She treasured even the questions. She held the question. Didn't you know I'd have to be? about my father's business. I wonder if that question echoed through her mind again and again as she saw Jesus grow up, as she saw Jesus go to places that she as a mother would never want to see her son have to go. 
didn't you know I'd have to be about my father's business? But see, she treasured it. She held it. She, she kept it. I wonder if for those others who had all these incredible, amazing, wonderful promises, there's a sense in which they hadn't held them, they hadn't kept them. Of course, you can guess today what would happen uh, at a birth. Somebody would get their phone out and take a photo. Have you ever been in a situation where you're all together in the same place, you're all witnessing the same thing, and somebody takes their phone out and takes a photo? And then comes over to you with their camera and says, oh, look, I've got a great photo of, of this. And a little part of me thinks, I'm looking at the same thing that, that you're looking at. I'm here in this moment. We, we all compare our, our photos, don't we? And I think it comes from a desire to want to capture the moment, doesn't it? To try and freeze the frame. But often it can take us out of the moment, can't it? Often we can be so distracted by by these things that I'm sure all of us have got in our pocket, carry around in miniature the kind of photo album of our lives, and yet in doing that, sometimes we miss the living of our lives. I wonder in this race towards a date, towards tomorrow, how much time you've had to treasure. It'd be so easy, wouldn't it, for tomorrow to come and go and for you to put on the best meal that you can and provide the best entertainment that you can and to have missed the moment, to have missed the people that we share it with, the people that God has placed around us, to have provided the best gifts but to have missed out on the gift of the moment. Mary doesn't want to do that. She keeps, she holds this word in her heart. In the Old Testament, there's this word that keeps coming up through the Psalms, uh, and it's this word, precious. Uh, in the original language, precious uh, really refers to something that's rare, something that's not common. Uh, and it's precious precisely because you can't find it all over the place. It's unique, it's different. I want you to, to listen to how it's used through the Psalms. He says, the decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. The decrees of the Lord. That's not a difficult phrase. That which the Lord has decreed, that which the Lord has said will happen. The psalmist here says, they're more precious than gold. I wonder what the word of the Lord means to you. Is it more precious than gold? I love the way it's described here. It's sweeter than honey. Than honey fresh from the honeycomb. Is the, is the word of the Lord sweet to you? Something that you run to. The trouble is, is that we have all these decrees, don't we, in our lives. There are things that we think will happen. There's things that we want to happen. There's things that we don't want to happen. And if we're honest, that's often where we spend a lot of our energy and time, thinking about things that we don't want to happen. There are predictions by other people about the way that society is going and all those kind of things. But the decrees of the Lord, the psalmist says to you, they're firm. 
All those opinions will come and go. It's a sinking sand. But what God has said will happen. And it's not just sure it's going to happen. They're righteous. They're right. It's, good. it's a good thing. What God has said will happen. Can we hold those things in our lives as more precious than gold, sweeter than honey? There's another time uh, when the psalmist uses this word precious. It's in Psalm 119, which is all about the word of God. He says this, It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. The law of your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver or gold. What would you exchange the word of God for in your life? The psalmist even says here, it was good for me that I was afflicted. I don't know what he's been through, but he's been through something that cost him, that hurt him. And he says that was good because it took me into God's word in a new way. And God's word is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of gold or silver. I'd rather go through that again and hold this word than not go through that and not know it in the same way. Precious. There's a third way that he talks about uh, the word of the Lord and, and uses this phrase again. Uh, it's in Psalm 139. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God? How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Did you know God thinks about you? Did you know that? God has more thoughts about you than there are grains of sand. You're never out of his mind. How precious, God, that you would think about me. How precious, God. And not just a passing thought. Outnumber the grains of sand. See, Mary, when she holds this word, she holds it as precious. She recognizes that this is about her. One of the things she praises God for is being mindful of the humble state of her servant. God, you've thought about me. You've thought about me. So there's a challenge for us as we seek to ask this question, what should we expect when we're expecting is can we hold on to what God has spoken? Can we keep it? Can we treasure it as something precious? Sometimes it's easy, isn't it, when, when God speaks to kind of feel like, oh, well, that's, that's going to happen, so it's sort of hands-off time. But when God gives us something, to, uh, gives us a promise, uh, it's not as an excuse to abdicate. Uh, it's actually as an assignment. There's this uh, amazing thing that Jesus teaches us to do. It's called prayer. And he teaches us the Lord's Prayer. And in that prayer, he teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So that's something as Christians we should be praying and living towards every single day of our lives. Now here's a question for you. Is God's kingdom going to come? 
Thank you. Good. One of you. God's kingdom is going to come. Is God's will going to be done on earth as it is in heaven? That's more of you. That's good. Excellent. So why then does Jesus teach us to pray for something that is going to happen? Well, somehow in the mystery, and it is a mystery, of how prayer works, we contribute to the purposes of God. And something happens when I align my heart, my desires, my requests, my will with his will. God, not my will on earth, but your will on earth. Not my little kingdom, but your kingdom come. Your way. And as God speaks, and we carry these things from him. It's so important that we don't just let them go, that we don't lose them, but that we keep them, that we treasure them somehow. So I want to ask us for a moment just to think for a second about what it is that you carry. What it is possibly that God maybe has, has spoken to you. That might be a big thing. It might be many things. It might be a small thing. It might be a simple thing. Maybe for some of us, we're, we're still searching for that sense of God. Here's my life. What do you want of it? Where, where do you want me to go? What, who do you want me to be? But, but what is it today that God has spoken that you're carrying? Are you able to keep that today? It's amazing, isn't it, how often God can speak and we need reminding. We need reminding that God has spoken. There's another place where this word precious uh, is used in the New Testament. and It's in the description of heaven. It tells us that the walls are lined with precious jewels and, and gems. And it's not really a picture of opulence or luxury or wealth, but what is rare on earth is commonplace in heaven. And what is saved only for the elite and the upper is for everyone in heaven. But I wonder today how precious heaven is to you. See, we're promised. And this is part of this season of waiting, of counting down, of, of preparing. We're promised a savior from heaven, Jesus. Those words of the angels as Jesus ascended into heaven, the same Jesus that you saw leave will return in the same way. Is that a promise we hold as precious? Is that something we're holding on to, living towards, preparing for? We're going to live forever in the presence of God. I need to get ready for that. I need to prepare for that. So I wonder today if you would just bow your hearts with me. And perhaps it might help some of us today to do something physical, just to put our hands open before us. And just for a moment to sit with this question, what is it that you're carrying? And Lord, if there's anyone here today searching for that, Father, I pray that you'd speak.
whether it's in this moment or in moments to come, I pray that Holy Spirit, in the way that you do, that you would guide and speak and equip and bless. Lord, if there are old dreams that have long drifted, well off the back burner, that you're wanting to wake up today, Lord, would you wake those up in us? And for each of us today, Lord, would you teach us to treasure your word? To hold it close. To not let it go and and miss the moment when it comes. And Lord, in your name today, and at your invitation, we pray, King Jesus, this Christmas, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. God, we dare to pray on earth, even as it is in heaven in our hearts and minds, in our homes and lives, your kingdom, your way, your rule. 